Podcast of the Cinema. You're Dave White. I'm Alonzo Duralde. We're film critics. We've been doing this thing since 2010. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fixing to be uh, coming out in November. Will be 13, 13 years. Years. <laughs> <laughs> and they said it wouldn't last. Um, no one said that. No, because no one no talked one about attention. it, and it took years for anyone to talk about it at all. <laughs> And no one, really, most people still don't talk about it. That is also true. We are... Uh, the right people. <laughs> yes. Are talking about it. But you know who you are? You're listening. Yes. After one or 13 years. Welcome. Um, or maybe this is your first time here, in which case, uh, we are the very best podcast in the world. <laughs> We're the best podcasters that ever lived. <laughs> We are the, the greatest film critics that you will ever hear about or know, and everything we say is right. So, good choice, you. Yeah, you. Congrat. Good job. Congratulations <laughs> on selecting uh, this. Mm. How are you, husband? Uh, I'm okay. I'm. Uh, I didn't get a nap today. It's been. Oh no! It's been a tumultuous week. It has been very sleep-wise for you. It has been very it, tumultuous. I mean, no, the, the sleep yeah. is mostly back on schedule, but it's just been thing upon thing upon thing. Right. You um, are the kind of person who believes in making out once, love them and leave them fast. You are the kind of person <laughs> who. Gets upset when you don't have 18 things that you have to do. <laughs> but then when you, when I do when have, you 18 have 18 things. things you have to do, you get upset about that. <laughs> and like you woke up this morning and you were like, ah, today. And I go, what? You go, all the, and you start listing all the things. And I said, all right, go get your coffee and shut up. <laughs> In 30 minutes, when you've had a coffee in your face, yes. I will present to you your daily plan, today's plan, your timetable of activities, You're my social secretary. and events. You will know what you're doing. So now you're so lucky to be sitting here with me podcasting after your day has gone so also very smoothly. Yes, yes. Because of all the plan that I yes. put in front of you. No, no worries. You took one step in front of the other, and, and now it's all done. Yes. It's yes. all here. And when you're done with this podcast, you get to eat dinner. Mm-hmm. Aren't you a lucky man? I am. I've always yeah. said so. Yeah. We got some talk about some movies. Yes. We have some movies to talk about. And we should start with the big one. The, the, big, uh, mm-hmm. the, big, the big movie. Yes. Of the weekend. A Haunting in Venice. Yes. The third and best of the Kenneth Branagh-directed 
Hercule Poirot. Yes. Agatha Christie adaptations. Please tell everyone everything about it. Okay, so this is uh, adapted from the Agatha Christie novel Halloween Party, except it's not. Can you help me understand what you're talking about? Because I've heard people mention this, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Okay, so... Like, I saw the first one, and I already knew who did it before I even walked in the theater, because there was another version of it made in the 70s. And then I saw the second one, and I didn't know who did it, because I don't remember the second one from the 70s. Gotcha. And this one, I've never heard of before in my life. Okay, well, the reason you've never heard of it, because The Haunting in Venice has never been a thing before now. I see. Murder on the Orient Express was a book, had a specific ending. Agatha Christie Estate is like, yes, you can adapt it, but you cannot change the ending. You have right. to keep who did it. Yeah. Ditto Death on the Nile. This time, right. Michael Green, who adapted the, the previous two, and Branna were like, what if we just took this character... And made something up from whole cloth. Then what's the adaptation? So, what they did is, this is tech, I mean, what tethers it to Agatha Christie is that it is supposedly an adaptation of Halloween Party. Okay. And the movie is set on Halloween. Yes. And some of the characters in A Haunting in Venice have the same names as some of the characters in Halloween Party. Okay. And that's it. It's not, Halloween Party is not set in Venice. Nope. Halloween Party is not about the stuff that this movie is about. Nope. There is a character named Joyce Randolph or whatever, who the the character that, that Michelle Yeoh plays. Yeah. But uh, Joyce Randolph in that book is like a 12-year-old girl or something. Huh. <laughs> it has no connection at all. So uh, maybe, as I suggested in my review, the best way for Branna to adapt uh, Agatha Christie is not to adapt Agatha Christie at all. Um, so yeah, this is it's, uh, it's 1947. It's 10 years after the events of Death on the Nile. Uh, and two years after the end of World War II. Exactly. Which is, I think, ways on more the, important for the tone of the Absolutely, of the yes. Film, right. I've, the, you know, as, as also I've said, the, the, the haunting of the title is not just about the palazzo where most of the film takes place. Yeah. A lot of the characters are carrying around this burden of grief and guilt and sadness and, you know, tragedy and death from, from the war years. I think in the United States, 1947 was a a much different atmosphere. Oh, for sure. Uh, because the war wasn't here. Right. And people were really ready to... Move on. Move away from it as fast yeah. as they could. Buildings yeah. were not bombed out in the United States. Right. And we had the GI Bill, and we had, you know, the suburbs and all of these things happening. Yeah. But in Italy... You know, the, a lot of GIs were still there, yeah. and the city itself was was you know recovering from everything. Yeah, the, so, the country, the country, yes, yes, but the city, particularly where the film is set. So Poirot is burned out. He is not accepting clients. He is not seeing anyone. He's eating <clears throat> pastries. Yeah, and who can blame him? Which is a good life. We're going to be in Italy. I mean, come on. Uh, one day he does deign to receive a visitor, his old friend, uh, mystery novelist, Ariadne Oliver, played by Tina Fey. She says that there is a medium who claims to speak to the dead. She's become very popular with rich people. Ariadne is convinced that this woman, Joyce, is a fake, but is so good a fake that she can't nail her. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, Poirot, you you are the greatest detective. You come help me and yeah. figure out what's going on. 
So that night, Halloween night, they attend a seance at this palazzo that is um, currently owned by an opera singer played by Kelly Riley. Her daughter died a year previous. Yes. Uh, in attendance that evening, besides the medium and her assistant, is the family doctor played by Jamie Dornan, who is himself dealing with PTSD from the war. His young son played by Jude Hill from Belfast, who is essentially a mini adult because he's having to take care of his father. Right. Uh, the nanny of the deceased uh, daughter played by Camille Cotin from Call My Agent. Yep. Uh, the uh, former fiance of the, of the dead girl uh, who's played by Kyle Allen. Mm-hmm. And the seance begins and it appears that, that somehow the dead may be communicating. Yeah. There's also a, a past incident in this house where a bunch of orphans were trapped inside by doctors and nurses and have said to curse the uh, the estate. Yes. And then things start going awry and right. Poirot must lock the gate and say, no one must leave. Yes. The murderer is here. <laughs> because people start dying. Because people start dying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is absolutely the best of the three. The, the first two, I think, have a lot of issues in terms of Really bad green screen um, that's really distracting. And this movie feels like they shot it all in location. Yeah. You really get this gloomy sense of like, you know, shadowy autumnal Halloween Venice, um, you know, creepy masks. And the there's a scene where Poirot and his, his bodyguard and Ariadne Oliver pull up to the palazzo and they're each in their own gondola. And all you hear is like the waves lapping up against yeah. them, you know. Uh, early, in, the early, in the early part of the evening, there's a party for like orphans in, in this house, and somebody, this shadow puppeteer, puts on a shadow puppet show about the horrifying thing with the orphans being trapped inside the house, which seems like a weird thing to show to orphans, but you know, okay, sure, it's the '40s, who knew? Uh, and then that is mirrored later by the fact that the first um, death in this movie is shown in silhouette. Uh, in a very creepily effective scene. So right. yeah, like Branna's having a lot of fun with this. And I think maybe not being tethered to pre-existing source material is liberating him in a sense. Mm-hmm. This is like Dead Again, which you know he made right. like more than 40 years ago now. Oh, but, wow. Or 30 no, years ago. 30, 30 years, years ago. ago. More yeah. than 30 years ago now. But has that same sense of like, yes, this is too much, but isn't it fun? I agree. I, this felt to me atmospherically more in line with what I want from a murder mystery. Sure. I want I want there to be not just the murder mystery, although that that can be enough. I yeah. mean, we watch only murders in the building. Mm-hmm. That is a it's a comedy. Yes. But something like this, where the setting is really uh, uh, invoking the horror of World War II that just took place. I need the atmosphere to be sorrowful and dark and gloomy and people to be grieving and, you It's know. all candles that have just been blown yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the production design is really gorgeous. Yeah. And the cinematography is, you know, it's full of tricky camera moves, which you could get sick of after a while, but after, but after a while in this film you're just into it the way the camera is never presenting people 
directly in front of you, it's always on the floor or on the ceiling <laughs> or the, the, it's this, you know, convex lens or whatever. And I, as Christy put it, Kenneth Branagh never found a, con, a, a, a canted angle. Okay. He didn't like. Yeah. And formally, what this means is that there is, because of what you're seeing and how you're seeing it, how you are experiencing the story, it is disorienting, it's destabilizing, and it suggests the possibility of the supernatural, even though Poirot himself says, there is no supernatural, there are no ghosts, there is no God, I believe in nothing. Yeah. And if... And if this ghosts is, would mean there's a soul, yeah. souls would mean there are a God, and I don't believe there is one. So the movie is working uh, uh, against his attitude. Yeah. And you will discover what happens. It was shot by the guy who has, in addition to most of Branagh's recent movies, also shot Locke. Mm. Which is, I just think of like such a challenge for a cinematographer. How do I make this pop when it's like I'm trapped inside this car the guy with in one actor? Seat of a car, yeah, yeah, in the at night. So, uh, yeah, this is not just fun to watch. But it is also uh, a really satisfying cinematic experience. Yeah. I lately have been the kind of person who sometimes needs to stay home and wait for something to hit the small screen just because of my physical incapacity. Uh, but I, I hauled myself over to the Grove for this, and it's worth it to get that big screen experience for this. Now, you are a whodunit guesser. I love to guess. How did, how did that go? I am always wrong. How did Although, that go for you? <laughs> season two of Only Murders. Oh, yeah. I got it. Okay. I got so it right. So proud of himself. Yeah, I was proud of myself. Um, no, I had no idea what was going on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, sometimes the whodunit is skillful enough. And I, with the Poirot films... All across the board, you know, like he is look, he's picking up clues that the audience isn't even really being given most of the time. You know, he's deducing things that sure. we, that come at, that that fly past you. You don't know you're supposed to be noticing them, right? Uh, and so, you know, but it's not a cheat. Like everything, no, it's not a cheat. Everything that you that is important later saying, is I don't know what's going on. Is mentioned or shown or whatever. I'm too you know. dumb. To oh, I out I things. never know. Yeah. I'm the worst at figuring that stuff out. So while you were actually in real Venice, yes, not being haunted, I watched a film on my own. Good for you. Uh, as we talked about last time. Uh, we are super into Metrograph at Home mm -hmm. streaming service. And uh, if you are a Criterion Channel person, if you are a Canopy person, if you are an Ovid person, if you are uh, a film, uh, movement. film movement person, you want Metrograph at Home. Also. Also. So we got a year of it. Um, because we're fancy film critics, <laughs> and um, yeah, this is not a paid uh, endorsement. No, they, they, they. Although they did just give it to us, <laughs> I mean, we're not doing an ad for them. True, right now, except we are telling you very enthusiastically how much we love it. Yes, that is different. 
I'm being like Ruth Lyons right now, except I'm not selling you anything and I'm not being compensated yes. for it. And your microphone is not surrounded by flowers. It should be. Should we arrange that? I need to d- Listen, <laughs> I just saw the other day on the internet some stupid thing that was bound to a good idea. Uh-huh. Bouquets of flowers for men. I saw that too. And and it for and, your bromance yeah, or whatever. Your, give give your hey dude, hey bro, give your best bro male dude friend a bouquet of flowers. He will love it. And I was like, who's this who's being targeted here with the ad? Like is this I don't understand why must you say why must you lean into the hey 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 I'm straight angle of this because men giving flowers straight men giving flowers traditionally has been as a method of wooing yeah a young lady they're interested in listen if and someone if someone sent me flowers mm-hmm. we'd be best we would be bros forever <laughs> like first of all flowers are number one they are beautiful mm-hmm. number two they are they smell nice yes and you have something beautiful that smells nice in your home. What's your stupid problem that you don't want those? If you I, don't want them, you're dumb. Right. But I, Unless I, you're allergic to them, and that's sure. fine. And then in that case, I'm sorry. But like... I, I The ad is fascinating to me because I'm thinking like, do they really think they're going to kickstart this moment where straight guys feel comfortable sending flowers to each other as because. a sign of friendship? friendship? Yeah. Good luck with that flower industry anybody want to send me flowers send me some flowers <laughs> send me no flowers so, well, no 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 don't a, say that it's a doris day rock i understand what that okay. is i know what that is <laughs> don't muddy the message okay fine send dave white send me flowers, flowers. alonzo send dave white a pick me up bouquet <laughs> Anyway, I watched a movie uh, on, on on Metrograph at Home. Yes. Where they have the complete... Y'all know where I'm going with this already, if you've been listening. They have the complete collection of Strobe films on Metrograph at Home. And so I watched, uh, with our friend Robbie, I watched Communists. Now, that this is a film from 2014, but I'll be danged if it hit Los Angeles in any capacity at all. Not even museum that I'm aware of. Not even Acropolis? I don't even know if it was at Acropolis. I mean, was Acropolis in existence in 2014? Oh, you might have You been. tell me. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, Danielle Huye, she died uh, like... Well, before 2014. And there was a question as to whether or not Jean-Marie Strobe uh, would continue filmmaking. They were a husband-wife team from the 60s until her death. And people were thinking, well, I mean, will he go it alone without her? And so he did. He didn't make long features. In fact, this one is longer is the longest of any of his solo projects, to my knowledge. And it is 
a, a lot of things at once. It is uh, a personal omnibus sort uh-huh. of film where he has taken scenes from films they made together. And, and when I say scenes, I mean like long 5, 10, 15 minute takes. Mm-hmm. Camera doesn't really move, you know, that kind of thing. Um, from films they made together that reiterate their ideas, their commitment to uh, to communism, um, their their aesthetic, and sort of very uh, 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 sort of classic classic them. So this is the this is the Strove Huye that's entertainment. Okay. <laughs> Except you can't get away from the fact that their entire career was built around sort of being anti entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that is that's in no way entertainment. <laughs> so So it's it's this, right? It's 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 a collection uh, uh, of what they've what they what they did together, but it, there's also new material. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the new material is based on an excerpt from Andre Malraux's 1939 Days of Wrath, which is about, uh, this excerpt is about a man and a woman and how they deal with their, how they deal with being separated, mm. which is very sort of in their astringent, ice cold way, poignant. Right. Uh, so there is new material in the film and all of it is a tribute to her mm. and to the life they had together and the light and the work they did together. Uh, as I said, they were communists in the face of a world that had taken that, you know, pure ideology and, and enacted it in a variety of ways. Some of them effective, some of them crushing and murderous, mm. uh, but they as intellectuals and filmmakers and, and you know, determined, uncompromising, you know, aesthetic. Uh, as a, a determined, uncompromising aesthetic team, right? They persisted, and unwaveringly so. <laughs> like their cinema was and is as demanding and meticulous, and and sometimes intentionally off-putting in the fact that, you know, like, they, they they made whole films of people, like, standing in a field just talking in a monotone. <laughs> you have to be, you need to be ready for that. Um, of all the filmmakers I love, they are the ones who could make me feel like I had walked into a midterm that I had not studied for or even <laughs> knew was happening. <laughs> And they're the ones who make me work the hardest. Yeah. They're the ones who make me go do the reading after I see the film. And then it makes me think, oh, now I want to go watch it again. You know? Um, I welcome that in my life. I want to be, I want to be given homework. <laughs> you and your rigor. I know they're a lot, but I, I just love them so much. I'm glad they're out there making you happy. Well, they're not. They're both gone now. Well, I'm glad yeah. their filmography is out anyway, there making you happy. Anyway, you guys, communists, it's on <laughs> Metrograph at Metrograph Home. Metrograph at Home. I really, 
you should sit down, have a nice cozy blanket and a, <laughs> some, a snack. <laughs> dig it. Sure, Jan. Okay, so we're moving on to two films that I have not seen. Okay. You have seen Scrapper? Yes. Which seems great. It's lovely. And I think you'll like it a lot. It seems great. And I also know that this is one of the ones that I have to wait for a, a home screen because it is uh, from the UK and the accents and slang are, for me, uh, requiring In- captions. Yes. I was. You were watching it on a screener mm-hmm. and I would walk through the living room doing chores, tasks around the house. And, I, and at one point, I actually sat down in the chair and sat through 10 minutes of the film and could not understand a word anyone was saying. <laughs> now, part of that is the fact that I went to see too many hardcore shows in the 80s, and now I cannot hear anything. The other part of that is this movie is thick with it. Yeah, I mean, you and I are... Closed caption people in general all the time for everything yeah. unless now. they're unless you're unless you're delivering like solid 1938 mid Atlantic yeah I need a I need the captions but like the first time you and I ever put the captions on something in English butcher boy butcher boy butcher boy yeah which was the where the Irish accents were so thick we were just like I I, can't, I have who, no idea what's being what? said yeah so yeah I have to admit there were times with Scrapper I will when we when you do sit down you and watch re-watch? it with captions I'll watch okay. it again because I'm sure there's a good third of it that just like zipped right past so then you also my watched uh, you went to see Dumb Money yes but let's and, let's take this I'll, one at a time and I do want to watch that too because it sounds like an interesting story. While you talk about these films, I need to go stir the bolognese. Okay. <laughs> keep, also, the, keep, keep the mic on. Sure. I'll be in the kitchen adding my commentary if I feel okay. required. I'll start yeah. with Scrapper. It's a big award winner at Sundance this year. It is the directorial debut of uh, writer-director Charlotte Regan. She's directed a ton of music videos, and this is her first feature. And it's about a girl named Georgie, uh, played by Lola Campbell, who is a real find. Like, this kid is so natural and funny and just believable without ever being, like, you know, adorable kid. Um, She has recently lost her mother and is sort of working the system to make it seem like she is being taken care of by an uncle who lives with her, even though she is doing it all by herself. Um, so she is distracting the social workers who are only half paying attention anyway. She's cleaning up the house. She's, you know, finding ways to make money. Some of them uh, not particularly legal, involving stealing bicycles. She has a good friend named Allie, uh, and they hang out a lot, but she is just, you know, making it on her own. And then one day over the back fence comes um, her dad who she's never met before a guy named jason played by harris dickinson uh and it's harris dickinson in one of those roles where they have given him a haircut and some other some clothing choices to make you not notice that he looks like harris dickinson if you saw triangle of sadness if you saw beach rats postcards from london you know that he is like He's a model, you know, but he's an actor and he's a really good actor and he constantly goes out of his way to make movies like 
postcards from London Triangle of Sadness and this and beach rats and, and, and not not making like the easy safe choices with that stuff. Leave, just leave that. I have, I'm going to be used to it later. Okay, fine. Anyway, so, uh, you know, she's never met this guy. He's never met her because, you know, the the... The, the parents were very young when Georgie was born and the mom, you know, opted to go on her own. So Jason hasn't been around, but now Jason wants to be there for his child who he's never met now that she's alone in the world. And so it is this sort of process of the two of them kind of sussing each other out and getting to know each other and getting to trust each other and eventually, you know, care about each other. And, that sounds like the blueprint of a million goopy indies. And this is not that this has a very kind of tough heart, uh, but it does still also allow for, you know, human kindness and it's really charming. It's really good. It's a really strong directorial debut. The, the, the performances, like I said, uh, you know, between Harris Dickinson and, and Lola Campbell are really great. And you know, it's 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 short. It's it's like right, just it's under ninety minutes, but really kind oh, of that's like my favorite. oh yeah, but under really, ninety minutes or over six hours exactly. <laughs> but just it gets in there, does what it needs to do, and boom, it's done. And uh, it's really quite lovely. I recommend it very much. And then dumb money. Uh, yeah, this is from um, I'm back, y'all. The bolognese is doing really well. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear that. Uh, Dumb Money is the new movie from Craig Gillespie. Um, you know, he did I, Tanya, He did uh, uh, Cruella. Right. Um, this feels like it is very much in the mode of the big short. In that it is trying to sort of explain this crazy financial thing. Um, and, and sort of like, you know, explain it in layman's terms, but then also sort of show you the different players involved from like the big muckety muck kind of like, um, you know, uh, the big brokerages and then just the regular people who were part of this phenomenon. So it's basically about the whole GameStop thing yeah, that happened not that long ago. Like this was a, this was a COVID phenomenon yeah, where this one guy, uh, Keith Gill, um, who had like a, he had like a YouTube channel and a Reddit thread where he would talk about the stock market he basically was like, look, I really believe in GameStop. I think it's undervalued. I think it's got a lot to offer. You should invest in it. And also these big firms are trying to short it, which is, as we learned from the big short, where basically people are betting on a company to fail. And, and if a company you know, underperforms and doesn't reach certain numbers, then these people who bet against it make a lot of money and it destroys the company and everybody gets fired. So it becomes this thing, not only of this guy sort of like speaking out against Wall Street conventional wisdom, but getting regular folks to invest in a way that will stick it to the man, yeah. that will stick it to these big hedge funds that are betting on this company to fail. And, uh, you know, and, and so it sort of ties into the frustration that a lot of people had, particularly during the early parts of the pandemic, where, you know, the very wealthy were being taken care of and the rest of us were not. Yeah. And so you cut back and forth between Gil, who's played by Paul Dano, who's really terrific in this. His wife is played by Shailene Woodley. His, his ne'er-do-well brother is played by um, Pete uh, Davidson. But then, like, you have these big hedge fund jerks like Seth Rogen and um, Keith, uh, no, uh, uh, Nick Offerman uh. and, and Vincent D'Onofrio. 
And then you have just like regular folks who are investing like um, Anthony Ramos playing an actual GameStop employee or America Ferreira as a nurse, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of fluctuates with how interested I was in it. I was most interested <laughs> when it was about Paul Dano and about America Ferreira and I guess Anthony Ramos, but like the, the, the hedge fund guys are, you know, it, they're interesting, but at this, you know, you're like, you don't really care about them and you don't, you know, there's not going to be much to them besides them being awful. Cause they are. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Like it's one you could wait and watch at home. And I think not really miss much. Uh, but it's it's okay. It is firmly okay. <laughs> I'm certainly for all the things the movie is for. If anything, I think it paints too rosy a picture that in the wake of this thing happening, that that people, that regular investors have more of a say or are being paid more attention to. I don't believe that's true. Uh-huh. I think when something like this happens, they just change the rules so it never happens again. Um, yeah. Because the system is always rigged. The title refers to what Wall Street people call regular investors yeah. like for them that's dumb money right. like it's only their big giant pockets and big buyouts or big shorts that that, that really mean anything right so um yeah like i am interested in seeing this yeah but it's going to be streaming in about four weeks probably <laughs> and so maybe even sooner so i uh will probably catch it then. I mean, it's still it, like it, it. It's weird how it's being released. I think they sort of juggled dates around because of the Taylor Swift thing coming or whatever. So like, it's what currently. Are you, what are you talking about? Well, like, it, it, like right now, it's in New York and L.A. Next Wednesday, I think it opens wide. Okay. So, but like, what's Taylor Swift got to do with? That? Well, a lot of movies moved out of her way. When's her movie? It's in. It's like the second week of October. And it's just a concert film. It's right? a concert film, yeah. But the pre-sales on it have been bananas. And it's really long, am I right? It's, it's like three hours, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of movies that were slated to come out around that, like, have been moving up or moving back, or like trying to like give her a wide berth, right, right. because she sold so many tickets. Uh, the nobody wants to get caught in that uh, crossfire. <laughs> <laughs> The dolphin caught in the tuna net. <laughs> All right, well, so you're done talking about Scrapper yeah. and done talking about dumb money? Yeah. Okay. We caught up with the latest from a Romanian filmmaker that we are both mm. super into. Yes. Christian Munju. Yes. Who uh, famously uh, most is well most well-known for... Uh, Four months, three weeks, and two days. Yes. From 2007. We also did Graduation. Graduation. Uh, and Beyond the Hills. Beyond the Hills, From yes. 2012. So Graduation was 2016. So he hasn't uh, made a film since then. Yeah. So this is called RMN, which does not stand for Romania. No. <laughs> it is uh, the initials of a brain scan. Now this is, you know... In Romanian, (laughs) it's the initials of a brain scan, which figures into the plot in a very tangential sort of way. Yes, uh, and doesn't is is only meant to serve as something that is. uh, It's a metaphor echoing the 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 activity uh, in the film, 
Would you care to describe? Oh man, what happens? Do you want me to do it? I, I, I mean, can do it. Okay, yeah, I think I would. Okay. <laughs> so there is a uh, a small village in the Transylvania region of Romania, and it is 2019, and it's Christmas, and we're coming into 2020. Nobody knows the pandemic is about to hit. The film is not even about the pandemic. No. Uh, but this is when the real thing happened, because this is based on a real story uh, that that went down almost exactly like the film. Wow. So there is, that's my understanding. Yeah. Uh, there's a man named Matthias, and he works in a factory, and he gets called uh, a lazy gypsy yes. by one of his bosses. So he headbutts he, him. He headbutts the boss. This guy's this guy's big too. He's like a tall, like Michael Myers kind of frightening looking dude. It's worth noting he's working at a at a factory in Germany. Yes, he is working at a factory in Germany, and he is on the run from that because he has just seriously injured his boss. And he comes home to his village, the one he had to leave to go find work in Germany because there are no jobs. In this little village. There is a bakery, however. And the bakery is growing in uh, influence. It is growing in size. They keep taking on new employees. However, the bakery is owned by a woman who doesn't seem to want to pay anyone more than minimum wage. And as anyone who has ever worked for minimum wage knows, at this point in history, you cannot get by working a minimum that wage ain't job. cutting it <laughs> it's not gonna do the trick so she has taken to hiring uh workers who have sort of been imported from other countries yeah in the case of this story two and then a third uh two men and then another third man all from sri lanka this does not sit well with the population all of whom are already simmering with resentment over a variety of things. They don't like the Hungarians who have come to yeah. Romania. They don't like the fact that many of them have had to leave the village to go to Germany or Austria or wherever to get work. Paying jobs, yeah. The, so they, they, instead of blaming the people who own, the people who are exploiting them, the people who are running the game. They blame the people of color who have just come to their village yes. and who, uh, Accusing who them autom of automatically say that they are Muslims and that they are unclean and unhygienic. Unclean, they're unhygienic. They're going to infest the place. They're going yeah. to breed. All the things you've always ever heard about uh, from anti-immigration idiots about immigrants. Immigrants, yeah. So, and you know they're angry with them for having taken their jobs, even though nobody in the town wanted the jobs because the pay is so crappy. Yeah. So this is a big one uh, in terms of story. There are a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. When I said I mentioned the first guy, Matthias, he is merely sort of a person who weaves his way through all of the different conflicts here. And, and he does so for a narrative reason. So there's a lot of people 
there are a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of, uh, you know, ethno-nationalism and sort of, as I mentioned, the crush of capital grinding people to dust or driving them away, the complicity of the church, oh, the, yeah. the irrelevancy of the church, yeah. uh, the good liberals who are really just greasing the machine for the owners, um, but think they're doing something good for the community, but they're really just making richer pe- rich people richer, yeah. richer. Well, all the while saying, well, we're just going to make the best of this bad thing then. Um, and what I think the character of Matthias represents is the politics of the apolitical person. Mm. He mentions several times in the film, this is not my business. I do not care. I am not uh, here to think to think about any of this. I'm not taking a job in this bakery because you're not paying. I would rather just m- m- sort of menace people in the village <laughs> anytime I feel like doing that. And, and he's very swayable with a mob mentality. Uh-huh. And he also sees himself as heroic in a way. He's he's always he's, he he comes back to his village because his girlfriend or wife are they married? I'm never and clear his on child that. are there, and he comes in. He's all gangbusters. I'm going to make a man out of this kid. Yeah, know? the child is traumatized and not speaking over thing that he has seen early in the film that we aren't told about until later. Yeah, and this guy completely just sort of runs roughshod over everything, and it's like trying to like make this like. Eight-year-old boy, like, man up and shoot things and stuff. And, like, the kid is just not having it. It turns out the kid is traumatized from a thing that he has seen that is also narratively connected to Mm -hmm. everything else. Christian Munju, as a filmmaker, is... Unsparing. He is a realist in the old-school bicycle thieves uh, sort of way. Um... He's a slow burner. Mm. He doesn't move the camera if he's got himself a, a moment he needs to stick around for. And there is one. Oh, in man. In the middle. There is an epic. In the, in the last Long third, shot in this film. There is, a, there is yeah. a town meeting that I hope. It goes on forever. I hope Daniel Palladino <laughs> got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> he loves a town meeting. There is this really long town meeting scene where. Everyone in the village comes to yell at each other. Yeah. And they all get their moment to yell at each other and fight and break up the fight and split off. And it's, it is stunning. Yeah. uh, To watch. And it's one uninterrupted take. Yeah. So a lot of the character action, I think, finds its motivation. Uh, particularly in the last half hour, well, and, and before that as well, but particularly in the last half hour, a lot of the character action, I think, finds its motivation in stuff we are not told about. Mm-hmm. You have to just kind of keep up and infer from what people are doing, fill in some blanks on your own, and wonder why people behave the way they do, just the way you like, just like you do in real life. Right. And the Christmas setting is not incidental. Like, it is a very much an ironic counterpoint, this idea of welcoming the traveler. There's no room at the end. No room at the end. Yeah. All of that stuff that everybody is being it so... It just so happened to actually have taken place at Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's being so, like, blithely awful 
about the 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 Sri Lankans and trying to pretend like they aren't and trying to pretend like it's about the economy or it's about anything right. else and doing it in front of a lit tree, you know, right. or in front of like a row of lights or a, even a crash. Right. And just not seeing the irony there. Yeah. So uh, what happens here is based in reality and therefore there's, he has no reason to uh, sugarcoat it. Soft pedal. Or be optimistic about where Romania and other European countries are going. The far right is rising in many European countries, the way it is in the U.S. And so in this, this film is, in a way, a a companion to uh, Radu Jude's Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, which is about a woman. I reviewed it for The Rap when I used to work for The Rap. I still (laughs) click on Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn by Dave White. Um, Radu Jude, I hope I'm saying his name right. He's another Romanian filmmaker that I really dig. That's a movie about a woman who, in the privacy of her own home with her own husband, makes a sex tape. And then it gets hacked and leaked out to the world. And she is, uh, her life is turned upside down by the community (laughs) around her. A community of awful, awful people. And it, 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 and it has echoes in his earlier film that he made, Radu Jude, called uh, I Do Not Care If We Go Down in History as Barbarians. Mm-hmm. He's Mr. Long Title. Um, <laughs> he's got a new one coming out called Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World. <laughs> but I Do Not Care If We Go Down in History as, as Barbarians is a film about Romania's like very troubled history. Mm. Um and how it all just repeats. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that I like about RMN is that it's, you know, it, it's not just a thing of like, it's not a Romanian filmmaker saying, ugh, Romanians are so terrible, although he's kind of saying that. But he's also saying like, this stuff doesn't just happen. Right. This stuff is born out of economic exploitation. This stuff is born out of the working class being set against each other by the people who are are, you know, could could treat everybody better and don't and so people are left to blame other oppressed people for people their own worse oppression off than they are exactly. and it's very very easy to see that the people above the people who own are very happy to watch that take place yeah yeah uh this is also we should say uh riveting <laughs> this film oh yeah you you sit down and and you won't be able to stop yeah, because you don't know where it's going and you don't know who's going to make it out yeah. by the end. He's great. He's one of my favorite uh, working filmmakers. And then I finally got a chance to watch Joyride. Oh, good. Which is now streaming. Yes. It's streaming everywhere. You can rent it all over the place on the internet. You saw it at the beginning of the summer. Mm-hmm. It is now the beginning of the fall, and I have finally gotten the chance to sit down and see it. Feature debut of Adele Lim. 
Yes, who, who co-wrote uh, Crazy Rich Asians. She adapted the novel Crazy Rich Asians yes. for the screen. And uh, an early adopter of the, hey, pay the writers, because she basically refused to do the sequel because they were going to pay the other uh, writer way more than her. Oh, really? Yeah. She was like, no, you're not. No, you're not. So this stars Ashley Park. Who, Speaking uh, of Only Murders in the Building. If you, yeah, she's on Only Murders this season. She's on uh, Emily in Paris. And what I did not know is that she is a big, big Broadway person. Yeah, she's okay. been in a million things. She's been Tony nominated. She is, uh, if you're a theater, if you're a musical theater person, you already know who she is. Huh. Uh, it also stars Sherry Cola, who I did not know until this film. Who I'm now a huge fan of. <laughs> she's great. Uh, it stars... Uh, Sabrina Wu, who I also did not know until this film. She, uh, they, sorry. Yeah, they, they're non-binary. Right. Yeah. They are a stand-up and TV writer. This is their first big sort of like okay. acting gig. But also, sign me up, yeah. MFM. And Stephanie Sue, yes. who uh, was in Everything Everywhere All at Oscar Once. Oscar nominees. And The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes. Um, so, they are four friends who are going to China. Yes. They are going to China so that Ashley Park can close a deal with the corporation there. Uh, but they also want to go find Ashley Park's birth mother. She was adopted by uh, a couple in the U.S., David Denman from The Office and Annie Mumolo uh, From Barb and Star. Barb and Star. And so she has been, you know, her whole life she's needed to know more about her Chinese, you know, family and and background. They go, and then everything goes crazy. (laughs) Uh, They meet a drug dealer on a train who steals their, their bags and their passports and their money, and they're just, you know, stuck. All the things that happen in a road movie that, you know, could go wrong. Yeah. And these are things you've seen a million times before, these kinds of things that go wrong. They go wrong very specifically in very specific ways <laughs> to these four young women. And uh, and I don't want to give away too much. I will say this, that yes. for, a, for a road trip comedy about women, they are allowed the sexual agency of a road trip comedy about, about men. A bunch of dudes. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is a very horny uh, movie. And... <laughs> And it contains at least one sexual thing that I've never seen depicted in a mainstream film. Hmm. I don't know if you remember what that thing is. I'll I, tell you off mic. Yes. But it involves a three-way. Yes. And a very specific moment in that three-way. Yes. And when I saw it, I went, ho! Oh, <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> so. Uh, I love when they arrive. So, you know, yes, bravo. Golf clap, yeah. When they get to Sherry Cola's family in China. Yes. Did that remind you of? Oh, did it remind me of a family I know? <laughs> kind of. We just talked about my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 yeah, last time. Yeah, of being in Spain with a big room full of people related to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I was not, I was prepared for everything that I expected to be in this film. And what I was not expecting was the fact that it was going to make me cry in the last 20 minutes because stuff happens. Yes. And I didn't know it was coming. And in a way, it's a it's a it's a it's a 
it's a pinch you until you cry kind of thing. <laughs> but but because they sprung it on me, I was unprepared for it, and I just went, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, my heart. <laughs> And I, I got, I got, I got actually teary-eyed uh, at this moment near the end. That is, I think, very real and very beautifully done. Uh, you know, so manipulate me. I'm fine. I can, I can <laughs> yeah, take look, it. Look, you can do it right or do yeah. it wrong, and this movie does it right. Yeah. So uh, if you missed it this spring, and I think a lot of people did miss it this spring. I don't Summer. think it burned up the box office, did it? Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't remember. It was, it, it premiered at South by Southwest and people like lost their minds Loved over it. it. Yeah. And the reviews were really good. Yeah. I don't know if it was, uh, a, you know, a box office scorcher. I really enjoyed this. But it's, it's, it's really terrific. It's funny and it's charming and it's, at the end, I think it's moving. Yeah. Um, there, there is a great K-pop gag. There is a great K-pop gag. And I wasn't expecting that either. <laughs> Why K-pop? Well, you'll find out you'll why find K-pop. Out. Yeah, the um, it's streaming. Yeah, you, you catch up, catch up. I caught up. You should catch up. Get on it. Do we have letters? We do. Why don't you vamp for a minute? While I pull them <laughs> up and, hey, and we what we also have is a Patreon page. Yeah, at Patreon.com/slash Linoleum Knife for as little as a dollar a month. You get daily recommendations. You get uh, a, a show that we do called Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, where uh, we go uh, at length on one particular film. Uh, but then above that, there's uh, more levels and more shows. Linoleum LKTV, a podcast of the television. Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics. Uh, Linoleum Nights, where we, uh, we we do it live on on Facebook, and we you know just talk about whatever the heck we want. Um, there's monthly club meetings. There's all kinds of great stuff. Uh, so patreon.com slash linoleum knife. If you're liking this, maybe you'll like more of it. All right, I got the letters. Okay. Larry commenting on the fact that I finally caught up to watching Bo is Afraid. Mm. He said, uh, I totally agree that Bo is Afraid is a comedy. It was an uncomfortable watch for me, and I certainly didn't like everything by any means. But all I know is that I was consistently laughing, almost always, <laughs> and I believe where Ari Aster intended. The absurdity was completely relentless, and Joaquin Phoenix was totally up for it. There was a point during the beginning where I was wondering if Bo was ever going to finish a sentence and not just mutter incomprehensible phrases and half sentences. <laughs> Quite a watch. It really tests the viewer, but I dug it. Fair. Definitely a test. Miriam says, It does seem like it says something about our current era that the two biggest movies of the summer that were born of and reflect upon the last six decades of American history and culture, Barbie and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, both ask the question, what defines a fascist? Hmm. Also, to add to the tally, George Lopez definitely used the word fascist in Blue Beetle. Yes, referring to Batman. It's the one. <laughs> 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 you know, see, now, I, now you made me like it. I'm gonna watch you should this. see it. It's the one unifying theme across the IPs this season. <laughs> uh, agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yes. And those are the letters. 
They were quick and to the point. Indeed. Uh, so and hey, you know what else they did? What about everybody? You know what else they did? They referenced something that we watched or said and didn't make me guess what the heck y'all were talking about. Because <laughs> we never remembered it. Because I don't remember anything the moment the microphone <laughs> is turned off. <laughs> Ever. <sighs> All right. Well, listen, thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, you can hear me on a bunch of other shows. I co-host Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire. You can catch us on YouTube or on uh, a podcatcher of your choice. That's where you can also hear Maximum Film uh, on the Maximum Fun Network. Or uh, you can catch me at least once a week on Deck the Hallmark, uh, and that's also a podcast. But if you get Philo TV, you can watch the video of those episodes as well. Um, subscribe to this program at Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. We'll read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Podbean, um, Google Play, Amazon Music, you know, the, the whole nine yards uh thank you blue for our wonderful theme music uh check him out at blueBLEU.bandcamp.com. drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com or follow us at linoleumcast on blue sky instagram and facebook uh and uh, we'll be back next time with more until then goodbye <laughs>